One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emigrant Awardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. Welcome. I hope you're very well. First and foremost, I hope you are very, very well. Welcome to this episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I'm your host, Emma Gunn Awardner. And these are interesting times. If you are listening to this episode in real time, meaning um, when it, the day it's published, then we are in the midst of the coronavirus crisis. And it is my pledge to you that during this time, I will continue to bring you content, continue to bring you conversations and episodes that I think will be helpful. There will be entertainment, there will be infotainment, but there will also be episodes of people who I think might be able to help navigate this tricky, tricky time. And to that end, uh, the brilliant Dr. Shelby Harris, who came on the show last summer, agreed to come back on the podcast to really talk about how to um, maintain a good quality of sleep when all of your routine has been pulled from out underneath you. If that's the right expression, it's probably not. It's probably a bit clumsy. Um, but we uh, we connected on DM on Instagram and then we chatted on email and we recorded this conversation over the internet. Shelby is in New York, I am in um, London. And we just wanted to really... Uh, help you navigate what is a very stressful time and stress can trigger sleep issues it can trigger anxiety and it can also trigger depression it can cause relapses in those things and it can it can cause them to start for the first time and what I hope we do in this episode is give you the tools strategies and tips for a giving yourself a bit of a break because it's to be expected but b also put together a very easy strategy to help you navigate tough times and if your sleep is being affected then all the better 
Isn't that wonderful? Um, the link to Shelby, if you remember, she came on the podcast last summer to talk about her book, The Women's Guide to Overcoming Insomnia. But in this episode, we talk about uh, what disrupted sleep might mean in a time of crisis. We talk about managing your own sleep, but also managing the sleep of people around you. If you are isolating with children, for example, you might be having to navigate a whole new sleep schedule, which may have its... Uh, what should we call it, period of turbulence, but um, all of Shelby's insights and expertise are in this particular episode and I really hope that you find it useful. A little bit of housekeeping, I am obviously recording the podcast via the internet at the moment because I am self-isolating. I think the audio came up pretty well. There are a couple of janky bits, but please bear with, um, I think it's, I've done as much as I can in post-production to make this as um, enjoyable for you as I can make it and I really hope that you find the content um, helpful, useful, and hopefully quite comforting too. If you want to get in touch with the show, I'll just remind you that I always love hearing from you. It's my favorite part of doing this podcast. So please do email me on thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. You can slide into my DMs on Instagram and Twitter where I'm at Emma Guns, or you can follow the link in the show notes. The show notes can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. And you can join the Facebook group, click the link, there are thousands of us in there talking about uh, what's currently happening as well as other things. It's a really nice, friendly community and I urge you to join it if you feel like you want a little bit of virtual, a virtual hangout with some like-minded people. It's a great, great place. Also in the show notes, uh, you'll be able to find the links to Shelby's social media, Shelby's book, and also uh, she talks in the podcast about a set of questions you can ask yourself if you are in a state of worry, panic or anxiety and so obviously I will make those as available to you as I possibly can but here she is all the way from New York making a wonderful return to the show very generously offered to come on and speak to you about this um, so I'm very 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 grateful that she uh, gave me her time. Um, here it is Dr Shelby Harris on The Emma Gunn Show. Dr. Shelby Harris, what a lovely, well, how lovely to see you again. <laughs> it's lovely to see you too. I, I wish that things were a little different in the world, but it's great to see you across across the pond, as we say. It is. it is. Last time we saw each other, it was last summer. Mm -hmm. and we had a great conversation about your book, The Woman's Guide to Overcoming Insomnia. Thank you. I have in my hand. You're so um, Thank you. <laughs> but we are doing, because I refer to it a lot, actually. Um and we're doing this via video because we can't be together because mm -hmm. we are in the midst of the coronavirus crisis. Yes. You're in upstate New York. Not even. I'm like a half hour outside of New York City. Oh, right. So, okay. Yeah. I mean, well, people in Manhattan might say it's upstate, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Did I come across as a complete townie then? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I live, I mean, right where everything is breaking out right now in the city and the hospitals are overrun. It's, it's scary. It's scary. Yeah. And you're self-isolating. I'm mm -hmm. in London. I'm self-isolating. And um, when we were chatting on DM on Instagram and now is a perfect time to actually really, uh, really tap into your expertise because essentially one of the first things that goes in any kind of stress or crisis is sleep. Yeah. And I am thinking about my listeners a lot at the moment because we're all going through something completely new and unique and scary. And uh, this is the perfect episode, I think, is if we can kind of, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, if we can somehow get our sleep okay in the 
new environment that we're finding ourselves in and the new circumstances, we might be able to mitigate some of the stresses and anxieties that we're obviously feeling at the moment, given the world as it is. Yes, 100%. I think there's also, though, a bit of giving yourself some grace and Mm -hmm. understanding from an evolutionary perspective that our bodies are meant to react to stress this way in the short term. So people are, some people are almost freaking out, at least some patients of mine that have been doing well for so long are contacting me because they're not sleeping well. And this is also new, right? And our bodies see it as a threat, whether it's a threat we can't physically see or visually see, it's a threat. It could be a lion in a cave. We respond the same way. We are trying to fight it. And in the short term, our bodies are hypervigilant trying to figure out how to deal with this stress. So if you're not sleeping at the beginning, there are some things we can try to do to mitigate it, but it, there is a bit of normalcy in the not sleeping at the beginning. So mm-hmm. to give yourself some grace to say this is normal almost reduces the pressure on yourself in a weird way. Mm-hmm. When it starts, and there are things that we can talk about doing to try and reduce some of the problems that it might create, but then in the longer term, a few weeks in, when this is becoming sadly the new normal and we don't know how long it's going to go on for, that's when we really start to dive in and say, okay, now this is becoming more of a chronic insomnia. I can't mm-hmm. diagnose someone with insomnia when it's been only just a few weeks going on. Yeah. But if somebody is listening to this and they aren't sleeping, their mind is incredibly busy yeah. with worries, which is, it's normal. Don't give yeah. yourself a hard time. Don't give yourself a hard time. There are things that we can do, but if that's not working, if it's a week or two or three in, we will get there and then we will start to dive in. There are some gentle things we can do and then we can start doing some more intensive limiting time in bed, some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But to do that in the first week when your body is all over the place and second week, it's not necessarily worth it. But there are things we can do to try and be preventative. Yes. And one thing I do want to come on to is also if you are in a position of managing other people's sleep, Mm -hmm. children, but I do come from the school of put your oxygen mask on first. So we'll come on to that. And I just wanted to really talk about this period of turbo anxiety or like hyper anxiety and how it might be affecting us. So we're saying actually it's a perfectly natural physical animal response to the situation that's going on to have disrupted sleep and to potentially feel anxious um and disrupted sleep is often one of the first signs of anxiety and depression i think you say that in your book i do um, the the change in sleep pattern so what's the first thing um that somebody can put into place to just maybe not not experience too much disruption <laughs> I think the first thing that everyone needs to be doing and people, some people are embracing it. Some people are giving me some backlash with it is just keep, keep a schedule, Mm -hmm. keep, and and if, even if you can't keep a schedule all day long, like people are homeschooling or trying to figure out a work schedule all day, like that's, that's overwhelming. Keep your regular or something close to a normal wake time for you. Mm -hmm. So I, for example, this might sound you know, extreme, but I woke up at about five, I wake up about five fifteen, five thirty most days in the morning to work out before my kids are up. I've now switched to about six, six fifteen, but that's not drastically later. And I'm doing that every single day, even on the mm-hmm. weekends, mm-hmm. keeping that set. It's, it's weird, but a set wake time helps to set the rest of the day for you. So a set wake time will help you to almost start building up that appetite, that hunger, 
for sleep come bedtime. If you start sleeping in an hour, two, three, and it's just very varied, you're trying to catch sleep where you can in the morning, or you just don't feel like getting out of bed, you're not going to be hungry enough for sleep come the bedtime that you want to have. Um, so a set wake time with an alarm clock, seven days a week and get your behind out of bed. That's the mm -hmm. first thing. Because I spoke to quite a few friends last week who were saying they were so scared and frightened and they were so out of just out of their normal that they were, um, one friend actually told me she stayed in bed for three days. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, for the love of God, just get right. out of bed. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And I think right now, at least here in New York, most of the people, my friends, people we've been work, I've been working with, this has been about a week-ish that most things are now closed and people are working from home and their kids are being homeschooled. So they're not really seeing the effects of it so much. Mm -hmm. But we as a nation or as, as humans naturally are, are, we have these body clocks essentially that naturally drift later and later over time. And we have these set points of, we call them zeitgebers. So they're time, time cues and getting up at the same time when we have a routine in our life, whatever that routine might be, that's what helps keep our body clock in check to make all the rest of the clock of our body kind of fall in place. And if you lose that, many other things are going to fall with it. So if there's one thing that you can try and do, it's just get your behind out of bed. And if you don't feel like even starting your day, you're feeling down, you're feeling depressed, just get your butt out of bed and sit on the couch. Mm -hmm. That's all. Start there. That Get will, your that out of bed, make the bed, sit on the couch. Yeah, exactly. Make the bed, make, make it less uh, enticing to get back in. And if you're struggling with even that, put the alarm, get an alarm clock, right? Right now is not the time, if you can, to keep your phone in your room. I know I always make a case out of that, but mm -hmm. people right now are checking their phones left and right all day long. And that is just making the sleep even worse at night. So get an alarm clock, get the phone out of your room, put the alarm clock across from your bed. So it'll make you have to get up in the morning as well to actually turn it off. Mm. So, and then you make the bed and go sit somewhere else. It's not about starting the day. If you don't feel up to it, just get out of the bed. Is there a case to be made for um, an optimum wake time that you could set for yourself? So would it be sunrise, for example? You know, there are some people who argue that you have, there's this ideal bedtime, wake time. I think it really does vary upon you as a person. Um, with all these extreme measures that we're taking in the world to try and self-isolate and the social distancing, I th the hope is that this is not forever, right? That this is going to be a time-limited thing. So if you are normally getting up at 6 a.m. to go to work and do all the things you need to do, and now you're starting to sleep until 10 a.m., you're going to be in for a really rough adjustment going back. So right. try to pick something that is closer to what your ideal will be when you go back to work, hopefully, so that it's not going to be so bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. sunrise, it doesn't really matter. Sunrise, I mean, it doesn't really matter. I am a huge fan of light exposure, though. So one other thing, um, like we were talking about before we got on officially, is that like it was so beautiful here in New York and sunny and warm on, on Friday, and it's snowing and dark out now. So... <laughs> like, what are you going to do? And I know where you are, it's nice and sunny and warm. If you, if it's dark where you're living, if it's dreary and you're not, we're not getting outside right now either to get light exposure. So the minute you get up in the morning, open up, even if it's not super bright, open up all the shades in your room. Mm -hmm. Light exposure is going to be the other key because that helps to set our body clock. So get up, open up the windows, 
just soak in the light throughout the day. Get as much as light as you can up until about an hour before whatever time you're going to choose to bed, go to bed, and then go to bed. It's routine. The rest of the structure that we put in the day is important too, but you really need to set it around a bedtime, wake time. Yeah, because I've been saying to followers on Instagram, you know, I, I break my day up into hour segments. Exactly. I've been working from home a lot. I have been very unproductive over the years. And this is the only way for me to feel like I can sort of get get momentum and be productive. But that's a big change. So mm-hmm. I'm sort of thinking, right, if we're going to make it easy for listeners, it's just maybe the first thing that you do before you go all in on my particular strategy is just to do that wake time. Yes. Wake and time. Does that mean we do the sleep time? We are as rigid about sleep time when we get it's, to bed? That's the ideal, right? We, we still want to think about it as, okay, if you're someone who, there are a lot of people who sleep, lucky for them, is not so disrupted. If it's not, then you just count back the amount of sleep that you typically need, right? And this is also the time where some people are sleeping okay, and they're normally so sleep deprived because they're working so many long hours mm-hmm. that they can actually get more. I mean, it's those some very lucky people who are not having a disrupted sleep at night, but get that extra sleep. If you can eight hours, eight and a half hours, count it back. But the wake time is really the key. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you really find that you're struggling with going to bed at the beginning of the night, like that's where I think a lot of people, or they're waking up in the middle of the night, try and see like, okay, maybe if I'm up for an hour, hour and a half, just worrying or whatever it is in the middle of the night, go to bed a little later. It's a weird way to think about it. But that's what we talked about the last time we spoke is that sleep restriction. So it's limiting the time in bed a little bit Mm -hmm. so that you're really sufficiently sleepy by the time you go to sleep. And sometimes it deepens your sleep a little bit more. It's like, yeah, go ahead. No, no, you finish. Because sometimes I find if you, if you're worried and your mind is active, but you're really, really sleepy and you stay up an hour later, it almost overpowers a busy mind. Ah, ah, okay. So push, push your limits a little bit to actually improve your sleep within reason. Like I would never, if someone's sleeping on average, let's say six hours a night broken up, you don't spend nine hours in bed, right? Mm -hmm. People are trying to catch it when they can. That's, that's really part of the problem. So instead of a nine hour window, maybe consider a seven hour window, stay Mm -hmm. up a little later and you might find that you fall asleep a little bit faster. And, and if you, you set the wake time, can count back seven hours, it might do you some good. Okay. And then that just made me think about something yeah. as you talked about sleep quality. So I think I'm sure we can all relate to that feeling of weigh yourself out in the day and you'll sleep better. And being as active right now is a little bit of a challenge if you are self-isolating. And I mean, there's nothing like a bit of fresh air to make you feel really yeah. uh, energized, but then equally tired at the end of the day. So could could our quality of sleep be deteriorating because of the fact that we're being a little less active potentially. For sure. That's, you know, it's, it's, that's what I was kind of saying earlier is that I think we're at least here in New York, we're in week one, week two of this, I think another week or two of this solitary, the sedentary lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I'm really big on try. I mean, it's not ideal. People aren't making the best food choices. I know myself, I'm craving those high fat, high sugar foods to get you through in the moment. Mm-hmm. Do whatever you can for self-care to try and move, I'm doing, I offered to all of my patients, I said, you know what, if you can't get out of the house, like it's snowing and it's just not great, I will walk on my treadmill with someone else if they have a treadmill or a bike while we talk and have a session. Do that while you're talking to someone. Just, there are so many great YouTube videos out there. Just move, Mm -hmm. get up, 
do five sit-ups, just stretch. That will help you greatly. If you don't use your, I always think of sleep at night, like a battery that's recharging. Mm -hmm. If you're not using it during the day, it won't need to charge as much at night. It's that simple. Ah, okay. I like that. Um, Restful sleep is also really significant for um, maintaining one's mental health. Yeah. And I wonder you, I'm I'm curious, I'm saying you must be getting lots of messages from your uh, patients, but I'm putting words into your mouth there. But are you finding that um, obviously the condition, the, the situation itself is very stressful, but also the sleep disruption has the potential to make people feel like they're relapsing. That's something I've been getting a lot of messages about. Have you been experiencing that kind of thing too? Yeah, because like you were saying before, like the first thing that often goes when we start to see anxiety and depression come back, like actual diagnosable anxiety and depression, sleep is usually the first symptom to go. But it doesn't always mean that, right? So it can be a signal that something needs to be taken care of. And also that everyone is going through this right now. And that mm-hmm. sleep is going to be disrupted and we'll do what we can. If you, if you try to mitigate the sleep problems by doing some of those basic things we just talked about, it might help to push off a little bit of the anxiety and depression. And then there mm-hmm. are really good anxiety and depression management um, methods as well. You know, mindfulness, meditation. It's not always going to be a total cure, but just getting through every day that you can to try and sleep better is going to be helpful in pushing off that anxiety and depression day by day. And if you have been experiencing broken sleep and you are worried about a relapse, it might not be that it's a relapse. It just might be a normal reaction, but just put your strategies in place just to keep your mental health in check. Exactly. So take it out of what's going on in the world right now. When I have a patient that's doing better and they've been doing better for a little while and we're talking about, okay, let's, I think it's time to stop treatment. You know everything you need to do. I always say to them, You know, it doesn't mean that you're cured. There's no such thing as like being a perfect sleeper every single day from here on in. I don't sleep well every day. That's the reality. It's about knowing, okay, if I have one bad week, let me maybe take out a diary. And there are great sleep diaries. There's ones in my book. There's ones online you can get. Just start tracking your sleep. Mm -hmm. I would start with that. And then after one week, if you look at it, it's still not getting better. And it's like, you're like, oh, I'm drinking a lot of caffeine to try and get through the day or whatever. Make some small changes. And if after two weeks, it's not getting better, then you can start saying, okay, my sleep is becoming a bigger problem. Every day I'm having really big issues. I'm up for hours. Maybe I need to be more aggressive with dealing with it. And that, but two weeks of poor sleep is not a chronic insomnia make. Okay. And that brings us quite neatly into some of the things you can perhaps bring into your life in order to help and mm-hmm. I really wondered if you wouldn't mind explaining adaptogens a little bit are they am I right in thinking that might be a first point of treatment for someone expressing that they're feeling disrupted sleep at the moment potentially a bit of anxiety would that be the first thing you'd say to them to try well, you could I would definitely consider it at this point if you need to it's I'm not mm-hmm. opposed to it at all yeah instead we're doing what we can to get through the moment yeah for sure. Why are adaptogens, because they're the they're herbs that treat yeah. mood disorders and stress. And a lot of my listeners will be thinking, Emma's talking about herbs, I know. which is not my normal thing. But um, you talk about three in the book, actually. That- yeah, I mean, more for, I deal with it mostly from a sleep perspective. So, I mean, you could do it for stress and anxiety, but I would definitely, I'm I'm not someone who ever prescribes them myself, but if you find that basic 
relaxation, talking to a therapist. Like right now, it's a lot about um, what I'm doing with patients is like perceiving yourself or visualizing yourself coping um, with the worst case scenario. A lot of that sort of like I do a lot of cognitive therapy. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, relaxation, self-care sort of stuff, but then also the cognitive therapy with anxiety and depression. But if that alone is not enough, then I would definitely have a a talk with your physician or an integrative medicine doc or whoever you could about any of the various adaptogens that are available from a sleep perspective, right? We'll talk about it a lot for like menopause. We'll talk about it for if people are still not sleeping, we'll talk about um, black cohosh or evening primrose, like any of that stuff, or even for the anxiety and stress, but talk to them first, because you also want to make sure that it doesn't have any interactions with the medications Mm -hmm. that you're taking. It's totally good. Then you can move towards pharmaceutical grade medications. It's a slippery slope right now because people are drinking more at home. Mm. They're using more drugs. They're using everything. And you just have to, it's, I'm not against it, but you have to be very careful when you start going down that road. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk about visualization and cognitive therapy. Yeah. One of the reasons I kind of skirted it was because I thought, well, can people do that when they're isolated? Yeah. <laughs> so visual, like what what in particular, like the cognitive therapy part or? Yeah. I mean, how would you apply that? Would you have a session with you like we're doing now where with a video session or could somebody... Yeah. That you can. Yeah. I'm doing video sessions with people le- all the time right now. My usual caseload. Um, and then in, in, in the States, which is really good, they got rid of the restrictions across state lines right now. Um, so we're doing all telehealth stuff. So I'm seeing a lot of, I've had a lot of people on my caseload over the years, just cause I worked at a hospital for a long time who are nurses, who are physicians, and it's, we're terrified to go and do some of the stuff they're doing. So a lot of it is, what is the worst case scenario? What do you predict will happen? What's the most realistic? Picture yourself coping with the worst case scenario. And you can do a lot of this stuff with someone over video recording. Mm -hmm. Um, Teaching someone meditation, you can totally do it all over video. You lose a little bit of that in-person feel, but it's better than nothing. And I find it's still, I'm still getting that connection with people. Um, and it's working quite well. And we're doing a lot of, I'm, doing, I'm using a lot of tech with people now. So even more so than before meditation, I'm doing a lot of that and I'm using the apps more than ever. I'm recording things on my computer, sending them to patients. I'm sending, emailing, mm. um, resources left and right. You can, I mean, it's very, very applicable over the computer. This is making me think about um, the thing you talk about in the book also, worry time. Yes. Actually, like, lean into it. and Lean into it. <laughs> lean into it. Think, uh, visualize yourself coping with the worst case scenario. Think about the worst thing that could possibly happen. Yes. But then park it and forget it until tomorrow. Is that is that a strategy that you find is really helpful? And what are the mechanics of making it work? So, uh, for, for sure. It's uh, funny you mentioned that. I saw, like, an Instagram post by John Cleese, like, yesterday or a few <laughs> days ago, where he was said, and I was like, he's essentially suggesting worry time. He said, it's too exhausting to worry all day long. So just worry at 11 p.m. and 6 a.m. or something. It was hilarious. Um, So basically worry time is when we're, the idea of it again is that when you're worried, we worry all day long, a lot of people. And right now, right, we have that heightened arousal where we're thinking nonstop about the threat in front of us. 
And if you can, it's hard to do, but especially right now, but if you can allow yourself one time a day where you give yourself 20 minutes and you say, I'm going to worry the heck about anything and everything. And you don't even have to do that visualizing yourself coping part. There's two ways you could do it. One is you just put out a piece of paper and you worry the heck out of anything and everything in your brain and you just empty it out. It's exhausting. Set a timer. And when the 20 minutes is done, you're done. And then it points later on in the day or night. If you start worrying about the same thing, it's usually always the same thing right now. Mm-hmm. You just say to yourself, no, not now, but during worry time. So you're not saying don't worry about it because every time you say, don't think about it, don't think about it. It's like me saying to you, Emma, there's a pink elephant in the corner. Don't think about it. He's got a tutu on. Don't think about it. So what do you have? You have a perfect image in your head, right? Yeah. That's what happens. The more you say don't, the more you want to in your brain. Mm-hmm. So with worry time, you're allowing yourself to think about it, but you're saying, just not right now. I will in a few hours. So set a specific time. I do it um, at times when I'm really stressed, I do it myself. And I do it like once a day. I tend to like to do it in the later afternoon. I don't recommend doing it right before bed. Um, mm-hmm. Later <laughs> afternoon. And then when you worry, if you find yourself going down the rabbit hole, not now during worry time, not now during worry time. The other way you could do it is, but I find a lot of it's hard. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Right now is to write on one side all the worries that you have and on the other side of a column, write what's the next step solution. And that's what I have in my book is one way to do it. But a lot of the things going on in the world right now, there's no solution for. It's just I have to wait take it day by day. So you mm-hmm. might just write the same thing over and over again. And that's a bit of acceptance that you have to practice. Yeah. But the more that you do that, the more your brain will start to learn to worry, but not worry generally all day long. There you go. That's the whole point of it. So it's, it just tempers it down a tiny bit. And then you also have to think about the triggers that you're doing that might be causing more of that worry, right? So like I was saying, we all have our phones. Are people watching the news nonstop right now? Right? Are you getting alerts on your phone? I, when this all started happening, I was I was a news junkie, self admitted, and I, or, you know, I, I would check the papers all the time. I've now limited it to once a day, and I just watch the once a day ones. I watch our. It's a news conference by the governor of New York, who is very down-to-earth, rational, tells us what we need to do, where things are going, very fact-based. And that's what I watch once a day. That's it. I won't watch anything else because it's not, it's not helping me. It makes me worry more. Yeah, it really does. You have to choose your media very wisely at this time. Yeah. And if I find there are lots of feeds on social media that are triggering to me, making me more anxious, that are people getting into arguments, I just turn it off right now close it. I'll, I will un, either, you know, unfriend or whatever, because I don't find that it is helping me in the moment. And that's what you have to really make those, make those decisions for yourself. I agree with you completely. Um, I also, I know we've talked about sleep time and a little bit about, um, sorry, wake time and a little bit about set going at the same time. But um, in the book, we also talk about, or you, not me, I didn't write the book. Uh, we talk about predictable rhythms 
And um, even something like one of the adaptogens you mentioned is chamomile, MRT, and how you travel with it, and it's really useful. But actually also setting your chamomile tea drink for a specific time can be really helpful too. Yes. So that was something I thought to mention earlier. Um, yeah. So if you're thinking about just setting a schedule for yourself, start with a bed or a bedtime, wake time, right? The wake time first. And then if that's okay for a day or two, then maybe start to think about the other things. So chamomile is a great one, right? Tea. Um, pick one day or one time that you want to pull that in. If there are any medications or anything else that you take that you normally have to take at a routine time with med- with um, with a meal or a meal timing, cam- you know, chamomile or whatever it is that you need to do, set that in with timing. Our bodies crave routine for eating. They usually go to the bathroom at around the same time every day. We have bowel movements about the same time. All that sort of stuff, if you can set that in, with eating, drinking, medication, sleep, then start to build in maybe some of the other stuff. It will actually get broken down much easier from there. Because think about it, you wake up 8 a.m., then you're going to have lunch at noon. If you break up your breakfast to lunch and then you maybe have to take a medication, then you have smaller chunks of time to actually have to do things. It will, it will make it a lot easier. But yeah, definitely break, break in those things too with chamomile, any teas that you're taking, herbs, whatever exercise anything i think we talked about this last time but it, it it's not uh it, i think it's worth covering again uh, i think when we spoke i told you about i had been doing intermittent fasting mm-hmm. and i had noticed that one of the benefits had been that my sleep had improved and also that plays really nicely into the idea of creating a routine like what's the is there an optimum way of planning uh scheduling when you eat obviously a lot of people are snacking <laughs> because we're around the food but is there an optimum way of setting out when you eat in order to maximize your sleep then later on? I think it really does depend upon the person. I'm not a big fan of saying, don't eat this, don't eat that. I'm a fan of just, because I, I think everyone has their own sort of sleep schedule that works for them. Um, but I do recommend, if you can, try to limit meals, any food, within three to four hours of bedtime. Sometimes there are those people, the intermittent fasting thing is interesting. I think it works for a lot of people, but there are some people who do wake up in the middle of the night because they're having low blood sugar issues, um, or they wake up literally because they're hungry and they don't actually appreciate that they're hungry. So that's something you do need to consider. Um, but for the majority of people try to limit it about three to four hours before bedtime. So Mm -hmm. if you're an 11 PM person, that 7 PM cutoff of dinner or any meals actually works quite well. The morning doesn't really matter. Um, you know, there are some people that need food. I personally, and I think like, I can't do intermittent fasting very well because if I don't eat breakfast, I get migraines. So it really, it's this, yeah, it's, and a lot of people do. So you, you have to really think about it for yourself, but we don't recommend eating anything large or any big meals within three to four hours of bedtime anyways. So I think it works out then, but there's no gold standard time that you should stop eating. Just kind of set it based on your bedtime. So that's the 7 PM I think is because most people go to around 11 and that's where it fits in. You said something there that's really interesting. You mentioned everyone has a sleep pattern that works for them. So actually perhaps one of the best pieces of advice you can give is don't mess with it too much right now. Even if it is a bit disrupted, don't, don't start creating something really rigid and very different because that could make it work. Yeah. 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 Like there, I think we have patterns that work for us that we've 
and also routines that have worked for us. So if you are normally someone that is getting up at six or seven every day and it's been okay, maybe you can push an hour, but don't go crazy because it's just going to start to possibly disrupt and you might start noticing you have more pockets of time awake in the middle of the night or trouble falling asleep and it's just going to create more problems in the long run. So try to keep it as close as to you can or as you can to what you normally do and it will be helpful in the long run when this is all over. Okay, we might have lost like about 30 seconds of audio there. Yeah, it looks so like you froze mind, for a second. Would you mind just repeating that? Um, yeah, I think people generally are creatures of habit. Our bodies are very set if you're a good sleeper to begin with. So try to keep it to what you normally do within an hour. Try not to really change it to something drastically different. When I see a lot of patients that are struggling, to be honest, it's because they've retired and stopped working. And then they just automatically say, you know what, now I can sleep until 9 a.m. It's not a problem anymore when they were used to sleeping until 6 a.m. their whole lives. So this, I, I have a, a friend who said to me yesterday, um, she thinks the people who will adjust the easiest to this are the people who have been retired for a while because they know what this is like to have a have not have a routine and have to put it in. And I think this is like a forced retirement for some people and it's going to be a struggle. So don't, don't shift things around too much. Um, let's, can we talk about napping? Are there any hard and fast rules for napping? Okay. So if you're a good sleeper, napping is fine. 20 ish minutes before 2 PM power naps are awesome. Now, if you're someone who's struggling with sleep, now remember, a week or two in, it's okay. But if you notice you're starting to have worse sleep, just try to avoid the naps. You're going to want to, but the naps are going to start to worsen your sleep more and more. So try to avoid it. You want to get that hunger for sleep at night. That's the key. Okay. So no naps. Okay. What about creating um, a sleep space, like making your bedroom a bit more of a sanctuary than it maybe has been already? Are there any good tips you can give people just to make that space more welcoming and more conducive to sleep? Um, right now, for a lot of people, we're, if you're in a space that is um, crammed with people or you're in a one bedroom or even a studio, Try to at least, I think you can make it welcoming as much as you can with just ordering new sheets, make it soft, dark, comforting, com like comfortable texture. But the key mm -hmm. is clutter. I think clutter is going to be the biggest thing right now, honestly, for people. Yeah. So if you are, people are working in their beds, I think a lot. I know I've even self-disclosure, I've had to do it a few times myself because there's no other place in my house to do it. So try to build a spot in your room if you can to keep all work outside your bed. Make your bed that, that haven for sleep. And if you can do that, make the bed every day, that routine you were talking about, make it pretty, get some new sheets. There's nothing that you can do that's going to like make it amazing, but whatever for you that you really crave to make it comforting is going to be key. Just watch the clutter. That's going to be the key. Clutter. Um, now let's get on to managing the sleep of people around you. Um, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of my listeners will be now in a situation where they are homeschooling their children and their children are going to be home 24 seven. That that's a huge change for parents and children alike. What is a good starting point for making sure that uh, children aren't disrupted sleep wise? Right. I, I mean, I'm going through the same thing. So, yeah. um, it's, if you, like, I think you had mentioned earlier, like putting your oxygen mask on first, 
So I'm keeping my schedule as close to as I normally do routinely. So I'm getting up a little bit before my kids do. I'm trying to get in as much as I can. It's not easy. I've made a commitment to myself to even get 20 minutes of walking on my treadmill if I have to, something um, before my kids get up. And then I'm waking them up. If they're not up, we're getting up within a half hour the same time every day. People are going to not like that, but it's, it's going to help us in the long run. Um, but you have to do that. Keep them on a routine. And I'm trying, I'm struggling just like most other people to keep that same schedule throughout the whole day. That's hard. But if you keep them on the same bedtime, wake time within a little leeway, but really set that wake time, it will help you in the long run and really try to avoid the sleeping in on the weekends by an hour or two hours or three hours, especially for the younger kids. Okay. And what if, um, someone is listening to this and they have children at home, maybe it's teenagers, they have, they have a dependent living at home who is, who is now all of a sudden struggling to sleep because their routine of going to school or going to wherever Mm -hmm. it is has now ended. And maybe they've got energy reserves that they didn't realize they had. They're not sleeping great. Like how do you, uh, how would you suggest helping those people? So, for the ki- the people who just have energy and can't sleep, sometimes just you have to you can't get into a fight with them. If it's someone who, if you have like a, a slightly older kid or a young teen who just wants to go to bed later, there is something to be said about teenagers naturally going to bed later and waking up later. And I'm trying to fight schools to actually start a bit later, at least in the states. So this is where it actually might work to your benefit. So if they have more independent learning more, um, things that they can do for themselves for school, maybe finding a happy medium between where you want, between where you want them to go to bed and where they're naturally going to bed might be pretty late, might be helpful. So if it's normally you're saying 9 PM and they don't want to go to bed until midnight, maybe pick like 1030 as a happy medium. And it might take some of the struggle away, especially for those teenage kids, because they naturally want to go to bed later. You do have to be kind of put your fist down a bit, limit the electronics. You're going to have to be, it's not going to be fun when you're all in the same space together. You're going to have to stop all the, um, the phones, put a phone charging spot out in your, um, kitchen so that everyone's phones are outside their room, model the same behavior so that they're not going to be up and talking to their friends in the middle of the night until all hours. And then let them, the teenagers might want to sleep in, a little later, but they're not going to be so sleep deprived because they're getting up crazy early for school. So you can find that happy medium with time. It doesn't have to be so strict of like 7am for school. So it's just little things that you can just implement to make sure that the disruption doesn't hit you physically, basically. Exactly. But I think I'm a key, like with the teenagers and I think actually with the younger kids now, it's going to happen too take all the tech out of the rooms. It's going to make it easier to, um, and put it just somewhere in like a family charging spot because you don't want to give them more temptation and all their friends are going to be doing the same thing. They're not going to be getting up for school in the morning. Their parents are all in the same boat. So we're going to start seeing kids talking at two, three, four in the morning, and then they're really not going to want to get up in the morning. Mm. I wonder, I wonder also if you can uh, talk about, there's a really nice section in your book about changing your thoughts. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think at a time like this, I know that you are a sleep expert, but I think also reframing the situation and trying to see it through a positive lens in whichever way you can is really helpful. And I wondered if you could give listeners some guidance on just how to maybe reframe or flip 
from feeling panic and stress that might be impacting on your sleep right. so that you can navigate this a, a bit more calmly and hopefully your sleep will improve. Right. So that's the cognitive therapy we were talking about earlier. So the idea of cognitive therapy is that when you have a negative emotion, I mean, it can even be a positive emotion, but no one ever thinks about that part, but it's a mm-hmm. negative emotion that comes up there's usually a thought that goes through your head right beforehand. We're usually very, at least myself and a lot of my my friends and patients, we're all very physical, right? We feel panicked. We feel anxious. But there's usually something that goes through your head right beforehand. So it's first and foremost, it's figuring out what is the thought that's going through your head beforehand. Is it, I'm not, this is never going to end. I'm not going to make it through this. What are those kind of, it's often right now a lot of catastrophic thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. Try to write that thought down. And then there's a bunch of questions. I have them in my book. You can get them online that you can ask yourself, right? So what's the worst thing that I predict is going to happen? What's the best outcome that could happen from this thought? Sometimes there's no best outcome. What's the most realistic outcome? The most realistic outcome to a lot of those catastrophic ones, is this is going to suck for a while, but it will come to an end. Mm-hmm. I will get through this. We will get through this. We have endured in the past and it will get, it will pass. What would you tell a friend? That's one of my favorite ones because what would you tell a friend honestly is the key <laughs> in, in this, <laughs> having the same thought, not just lying to them. What would you tell a friend honestly? If you would tell a friend something totally different than you're telling yourself in this moment, why are you holding yourself to a different rule book than you would hold anyone else, right? If you can have some of those thoughts or even, even another one of like, what is, what is the effect of believing on this in the moment? Is it doing anything for me? other than just making me spiral out of control? What could be changing my thought in the moment? What could the effect of that do? It could actually calm me down, center me a little bit. Um, Is there any other way to view this thought, right? So there are a bunch of thoughts that questions that you can ask yourself. Like I said, you can get them online, get them in my book, cognitive therapy questions. And I find for myself, for my patients, I have them all memorized, write them down, print them out, put a picture of them on your phone and look at them. Mm. You know, my, my husband likes to sometimes I'm, you know, I still get anxious about that. Everyone's getting anxious about this stuff. My husband will always say to me, what would you tell a friend in this situation? And sometimes that just snaps me right out of it. So if you find that question that works for you, that will help. And it's not always the interesting thing. It's not about positive thinking because if there are legit hard things going on that there is no positive answer for to just say, it's all going to be fine. is not like, it's not the solution. Sometimes mm-hmm. you have to be realistic about it. So to say, you know what, it's going to be hard, but we will get through this. We're taking measures to make sure that we get through this and this ends. That's sometimes just enough instead of the kind of spiraling catastrophic thinking. It just tempers it a bit. Mm. That's really, really good advice. And I'm actually going to just tell you now, listeners, that I will be putting the link to um those questions in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and you want those, then that's where you'll be able to find them. Um, the other thing I did want to ask you about is mm-hmm. supplementation. I do believe in a bigger look at the picture, which we've talked about, you know, implementing a good structure, uh, having a routine, all of those things, the cognitive behavioral therapy. But I also, I am drinking my uh, sleepy nighttime tea mm-hmm. <laughs> two hours yeah. before I go to bed. Um, I, I have up my magnesium and then there's also lemon balm, which I've never taken no. or tried, but it's, is it, is that your favorite? I've done lemon balm in the past. I do like it. Um, I find once in a while it does help me. 
it's, I think it's worth trying if you're someone who's really struggling. Remember, I also tend to see some of the patients that are the worst where nothing tends to work for them. But I think they're, you know, lemon balm, I've definitely seen people that lemon balm acupuncture, which is a hard one right now, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, but magnesium is another big one. I'm seeing a lot of people really find very useful. It's just so calming. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that one a lot. Um, and then chamomile, the tea is a great one too, but you have to be careful because if you're someone who's prone to urinating at night, um, just make sure that you're not going to urinate more with drinking all the tea. So okay. a cup of it, max, but it is calming. Yes. And then also the one I'd never heard of, and I liked it the way you talked about it. Cause you're like, it's great if you're tired, but wired mm-hmm. and that's L-theanine. Where would I yeah. find that? Um, yeah. You probably find it online. Here you can find it usually in um, specialty uh, markets. And the person who had written that chapter with me, um, Dr. Takeyasu, is an integrative medicine doc. So she has all these great websites and resources, and you can get them pretty well easily online, at least here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about over there, though. You could try. What, what's the, uh, so what does L-theanine do exactly? That you would have to talk more to with her about because I do not prescribe it or use it really much at all. That's when I recommend it to other people. But I have had patients that use it mostly and find it can be helpful. But those are all like the second line things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I don't, I mean, I, magnesium is much easier to find chamomile is very easy to find melatonin is another one i don't know we talked a little bit about melatonin it's just different here versus over there like a lot of the stuff is over the counter here but not Mm -hmm. regulated by the fda and agencies so it's all very amorphous and strange um but some people love it some people don't like it it's you know right now try what works for you but just know that just because it's over the counter doesn't mean it doesn't have side effects so use it with caution try the behavioral stuff. And if those combinations aren't working, that's when you talk to your physician about medications after a few weeks of stuff going on. Yeah. I always think, and you said it perfectly then it's the second wave. Like if Mm -hmm. you are struggling with your sleep, taking magnesium and doing nothing else is probably not the best way. You've got to do some heavy lifting and that heavy lifting is changing up your routine, perhaps to favor uh, a more um, a, a healthier sleep pattern, whatever that might be. And then magnesium and those things can maybe be like the bow on the top of the heavy lifting. Exactly. You know, and the thing that's interesting is we're, at least in our, my society here in, in um, the States, we're quick to, it's getting, it's changing and it'll be interesting to see how much more it changes, but to give medication. So people say, I wake up at three o'clock and I can't go back to sleep and my mind is wired and I just... And all we have to, you know, we, no one asked the question before they're, they're given medi- things like Ambien, all these, mm-hmm. you know, strong medications, but no one asked them like, well, what time do you go to bed at night? And if we find out that they're going to bed at 9 PM, 8 PM, they're actually getting a good solid number of hours of sleep. So that's where a behavioral approach of working with someone to shift their schedule later is actually mm-hmm. more indicated than starting to use all these heavy drugs that you're going to have a bigger problem with down the road. So the behavioral interventions are really the things that we need to often do first, then combine them with medications if it's indicated. And all the supplements are wonderful um, if the, the behavioral stuff isn't working first. Yeah. Okay. That's been so unbelievably helpful, Shelby. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much. 
I know you fit me in before your day properly. Properly, <laughs> I, I'm about to start homeschooling in about 20 minutes. So <laughs> I, mean, I will let like, you get through it. I love I'm, the fact that one of the things we talked about when you came on the show when we saw each other in London was about we talked. I think maybe even off tape about you running, and I love the fact that I can see in your office all of your running events, <laughs> your numbers from your races. That's so kind. My husband, to make me feel a little better, he organized a lot of my oh. medals because we have so much time. He used to, they were all just in a pile on the floor and it was like the sweetest that's, thing. That's a lot of medals. I've run a lot of marathons and halves, but it is what it, you know, it's, you got to surround yourself with things that keep you motivated. And when I, you know, races of mine, as many people around this world got canceled, there are far worse things going on in this world. And I, to get me motivated to get my butt on the treadmill in the morning, sometimes I have to look at where I've been to get my butt yeah. just moving. So it helps. Well, thank you so much. As I mentioned already, everything that we've talked about, the links will be in the show notes and obviously the link to you, your book. Um, I will also put the link to your social media because you've been putting some really helpful stuff out there in the world right now on your social platforms. So listeners, you will have no problem finding Dr. Shelby Harris, who I am so glad to have welcomed back on the show. Thank you for having me and be well, everyone. If you have any questions, by all means, you can find me on Instagram and just contact me or email me. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you, Emma. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. I do hope that you found that conversation between Shelby and I helpful. I hope that it um, it could be useful for you in the coming weeks, whether you're listening to this at the time it's published or at another time when hopefully things are a little less stressful. If you want to get in touch with me, please do email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or you can slide into my DMs on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you want to chat to me and thousands of other listeners of this podcast, then I urge you to join the Facebook group. The link to join can be found in the show notes. If you are downloaded, if you're listening to this episode, the show notes will be where you are listening. They um, they have all of the information that you might need, whether it's uh, social media platforms, any of the links from the show, and also that Facebook group. Please do join. Thank you so much for listening. Stay well, and I will see you on the next one. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.